You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. After you're done greeting and meeting, turn to this passage in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 2. Many of you probably know this scripture by memory. It's a pretty popular one. And so we are, if you're new to Sunday school, we are in the habit of not putting the scripture on the screen, our way of kind of encouraging you to turn there into your own Bible, whether it's the paper Bibles on the table or an electronical Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. I'll give you another second to turn there. This is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And in this passage, he is going to say, basically, that the gift of faith is, in fact, that, a gift. It's not something you do. It's not something you achieve. It's not something you work for, but it is a gift of God. And so today we're going to talk about church history and John Wesley, if some of you enjoy him, uh, and this idea of the gift of faith that was in his life. So Ephesians 2 verse 6 says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he may show the uncomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. It is a, a gift of God. That's huge. Is that, is like, do you really believe that? that? That faith is not of your own. It is a gift of God. And that if it is a gift, well, then who wants more of it? Well, we should all. It's, it's a gift. Let's, let's dive into this faith thing. Um, so we're, that's kind of the bigger topic for today. So it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, as we have come here to gather as uh, Sunday schoolers, Lord, would you encourage us with these words, with uh, the life of uh, people that have gone before us, Christians. May we learn from their mistakes. May we learn from their victories. May we learn about you and how you interact with people. And specifically today, Lord, would you speak to us about this gift of faith that is, that is from you. It's not from ourselves so that no one can boast, but that we might really understand this gift and receive it, Lord. And we love you. And we praise you. And everybody screamed. Sorry. <coughs> it's really bad manners to cough into a mic. And so I might do that more than I have a little bit of allergies. Anybody else got the allergies? Oh my gosh, look at all the hands. I just want to punch allergies in the face right now. It's just brutal. Anyways, here's a little picture of me back in the day when I was a good Catholic little boy. That's me on the left, not the little girl on the right, um, with my little tie. First communion, uh, had a great priest and did everything I could to be a good Catholic. And looking back, uh, at the time, because I was Catholic from, uh, well, the time I was born and baptized Catholic until about, about middle school, um, throughout my childhood, I thought, oh, I'm a good Catholic. I'm probably one of the best, you know, Catholics that you could be. And I had perfect attendance at Sunday school for 10 years of perfect attendance. So that's maybe what, you know, why I'm a Sunday school pastor now, because that was instilled in me from the time of a little tyke. Um, but I just thought, okay, I have faith. And there was some times of doubt. And as a kid, I would play these games. Maybe you played some games like this with God when you were little. Um, it's like, God, if you're real, would you do this or that? And I remember as a kid, if God, if you're real, I remember on the way to church, I was like, God, let me see a yellow car if you're real, God, on the way to church. And sure enough, I saw a yellow car. I was like, yes, God's real. 
I really believe in, in God. And for me, that was like a, a pretty cool experience as a kid, it's like, which it was kind of random because there's quite a few yellow cars out there. But anyways, um, for me as a kid, it was just like, yeah, I have faith and I have uh, so much faith that I, I can't imagine myself having more faith. I, I was where I was, and I just thought, oh, I have, I have quite a bit of faith. And then comes along high school. Here's another picture of me. Uh, that's me pointing to the yellow line. Probably can't see it because it's a small photograph. But anyways, there's me and my youth group. And I went to a Protestant youth group, got invited, and heard for the first time that I could have a relationship with God and a prayer life. And that was just something that I did not experience as a Catholic little boy, a relationship with God or a prayer life. For me, all prayer was, was once before bedtime, I would say the Our Father, and that was my prayer life as a kid, all growing up. And I, I might even say a Hail Mary if I was really feeling extra religious uh, at night. And I didn't really think, oh, you could actually have a prayer life. I just didn't know until high school, and the youth pastor taught about a relationship with Christ. And it blew my faith out of the waters. Like, well, I thought I had all the faith that I could have. And then this experience of, of learning about a prayer life and learning about a relationship with Jesus just blew that old way out of the water. And then a little fast forward to a few years later, and that guy, the blue arrow, is my friend Bo Bannister. He kind of led me to the Lord. And then after high school, we went our separate ways. He went to Florida. I went to New Mexico. And then he invited me to his church in Florida, and I went to his church, and it was uh, pretty charismatic. Like, like they talked about the gifts of the Spirit being alive and here for today, and the gifts of prophecy, and the gift of faith, and the gift of miracles, and we'd pray for things. And I saw some miracles happen. People prophesied over me, and it was just another like blowing out of the water. Like I thought I had all the faith that I could have, and then I spent the summer with my friend at this church, and I just blew that out of the water. It's like, oh, even more faith. And so I'm going to talk about John Wesley today. And John Wesley, you'll look at his life, and you'll be like, man, that guy was like a radical Christian and then God took him to like a whole nother level. So the bigger point today is, where are you at spiritually? And how, how much further in faith do you think God can bring you? And I think the answer is probably, well, who knows? There's, there's an infinite amount of faith that we can have in a deeper relationship with God. And so don't think that right now is the best you'll ever have a relationship or the most faith you'll ever have, because God might be preparing you for revival and awesomeness. So Sound cool? Sounds real cool. So, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you're new, uh, we do have these little cards on all your tables. They look something like that, and you can fill it out, bring it to the nice people as you leave. Uh, we'll give you the same gift bag that we give you at New Life if you come on a Sunday morning. So, you could collect all those gift bags if you want. And uh, I don't know what you do with a bunch of gift bags. But um, so that's, that's an announcement if you're new. And then a silly announcement that really doesn't mean too much, but I have to say this or else you'll, you'll, you won't think I'm an American, you'll think I'm a heretic, is that today is Star Wars Day, May the 4th. <laughs> Anyways, moving right along. <coughs> On a serious note, we, if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, we do usually as tables go over to the big church together, and we are in the habit of sitting in section 11. Uh, if you don't sit in section 11, do it. It's where we all sit. So, and, and we're beginning to, if you haven't heard the whispers of this, we're beginning to do like section parties and things. So depending on where you sit over there in big church, uh, you'll be like in a different section and there'll be like a party for you, but that's, that's down the road a little bit. So anyways, that's an announcement. And finally, one more announcement. It's just kind of a call to you if you've ever thought about leading a small group. 
There's going to be some changes happening to the mill. That's all I'll say about that. And uh, I think it's good changes. And Sunday school is going to stay the same. And I think right now, if I, if I had a spiritual grasp on the congregation and where we are at, I think there's a pretty big need for community and strong community within college and 20-somethings um, to ramp up our small groups and dinner groups and Bible studies. So if you've ever thought about leading a small group, uh, let me know. Talk to the people in the back. Uh, go online. You have, to, you have to fill out an application. That's kind of where it starts. But I wanted to encourage you in case that was even close to your radar. We do need small group leaders. So that's that. Shall we begin? <laughs> um, church history, month of May, kind of talking about U.S. church history. If you're really nerdy and you want an assignment, here's a nerd alert for you. <laughs> Chapters 33 through 37 in this book, Church History in Plain Language, uh, kind of goes through the 1700s in Christianity. I realize that the announcement only applies to a couple of you, but if you're following along in this book, which some of you have been, you've told me you've already finished it, that's pretty cool. So um, here's a little sneak peek of who we're going to talk about today. John Wesley. Raise your hand if you could say something about who John Wesley is. If you're like, oh, I know something about John Wesley, a couple hands, just a couple hands. Well, after today, <coughs> you will know who he is. You'll be able to say a lot about... <coughs> Sorry. So rude to just cough into the mic. Um, you'll know a lot after today about who John Wesley is, and he's a pretty big deal around here. Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. They did some construction. They took all the pictures down because they were painting, but just a couple weeks ago, John Wesley's picture was out there next to the water fountains. I had a little quote about prayer, uh, and so uh, if you've been around here enough and you're, uh, anybody ever do the furnace or DLA... Woo-woo! Um, that movement uh, that David Perkins started, um, greatly influenced by John Wesley and something we will call the Holy Club, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But John Wesley's story, if in a nutshell, is he was like the most Christian Christian I could imagine. Like, just imagine like a rock star Christian, and he comes to a point in his life and he becomes even more faithful. Like, he's given even more this gift of faith. And even though we would call him a superstar Christian up until this point, he looks back on that time and, and questions whether or not he was really saved because of how much more he grew to God. And so today's bigger lesson is how much more can we grow into God? And I've, I've, I've thought about change and faith, and there's some surveys out there that kind of ask people about change, and that they ask people, okay, think back to five years ago. For some of you, that's middle school. For some of you, that's high school. Uh, for others of you, that's the crib, however old you are. Um, and if you think back five years ago, you probably were very different than you are now, right? You're just like, oh yeah, I was, I was younger, I didn't have as much faith, or maybe some of you would say I had more faith. Um, some of you might say, oh, I thought this way, and now I think this way. And so it's interesting to, to talk to people about how much they've changed in five years and go scrapbooking and looking at photos. It's like, oh yeah, this and this, and oh yeah, I used to be really into that, and now I'm really into this, and I've changed so much in five years. So you ask people, you know, how much have you changed in the last five years? Most people tell you, oh, I've changed a ton. I've changed so much. But then you ask people this question. You say, how much do you think you're going to change in the next five years? And most people, according to this statistic, would say, you know, not too much. I'm, I am kind of, I've figured things out and, you know, I've been through a lot of changes, but right now, looking forward to the next five years, uh, I'm probably not going to change that much. But that's silly to think about if you, every five years, you reevaluate your life and you think, man, I've changed a lot in these last five years. So 
here's, here's where I'm going today. Maybe I'll, give, I'll do it this way. Well, I'll give you a discussion question so you can think about this. And I just want you to think about, reflect on your Christian life, your life of faith thus far. And if you're, if you're in the journey of being a Christian, um, well, that's perfectly fine. And so I tried to word the, the question as uh, loosely as possible. What's your, what is your testimony of spiritual change in your life thus far? So at your table, this is definitely just a 60-second version because some of you would like to just talk for an hour, um, and, and that's pretty cool, the, the things that God has done in your life. But a 60-second version, because we only have like four, I'll just give you like four minutes to talk. What is your testimony? So mine, if, if you're like, oh, well, what are you talking about? What, give us an example. Well, mine was the Catholic kid thinking I had all the faith I could have, and then coming into high school and the, this youth group and learning about a relationship with Christ and a prayer life just blew that out of the water, and then going to my friend Bo Bannister's church in Florida and learning about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and my faith being blown out of the water again, that would be the nutshell of my testimony thus far. So, get into tables. If you're at a smaller table, jump right into a bigger table and share with somebody your testimony of change, spiritually speaking, thus far. Ready? Get set, discuss. Che- Czechoslovakia. All right. Uh, sorry to interrupt you so rudely. Um, I have a microphone, and I would love to hear maybe some of your responses. It's kind of a different discussion question than we, than we usually do at Sunday school. But if you had a very short amount of time to kind of just share your testimony, like one big thing that happened, would anybody like to share? Mr. Burton, thank you. Oh, the big thing that happened to me um, was last year. Um, I, some of you may know this already, but I recently just, uh, last year, lost my job and lost a relationship, and my health started to degrade all at the same time within a span of a week of each other. Mm-hmm. And since um, ran to God on that and found out that, well, he showed me that my identity was not in, was not in him, but in more temporal things, more temporary things, and it took, Taking it took losing all three to take uh, to 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 understand that. So, yeah. and now, and now I mean, I would never want to go back to that. But I can understand. I I've, I've grown so much, and I, me and me and God are just it's been awesome. So, Great. well, thanks for sharing. That's being vulnerable like that. Thank you. Yes, sir, Mr. Bowman. Uh, for me, I kind of grew up in a church that I kind of call like post-Baptist, like they were non-denominational, but they were definitely a Baptist church. And um, I, I just dealt with a lot of attack from the enemy, and I didn't have a whole lot of people to talk to about it. And uh, they just kind of said, oh, just, you know, pray against it. And so dealing with that growing up and then uh, just kind of falling away from the church, doing my own thing, living in rebellion. Um, and then, you know, kind of getting caught in drugs and alcohol and stuff with the law. And so it was... I had to do something, and then the Lord started breaking in in a really big way. And when I came out here, because uh, he told me to, uh, I uh, came to DLA, had, went to a service, got filled with the Holy Spirit, encountered stuff that I'd never understood in my life, and it answered a lot of questions, got a lot of freedom. And um, I identify a lot with John Wesley in that, because like he had that crazy experience that just changed everything. And I look back, and I go, I, I knew a lot of stuff, but I didn't know a person. And, uh, yeah. That's great. Well, the caliber of both of those responses are pretty good. I'm going to um, head up here. I have uh, another, I guess, um, a, a direction to go, and, and that's kind of leading us back to uh, church history and talking about the 
church in the 1700s. Check, check, okay. Um, and this word that I will put up here, you will probably recognize, and this is a pretty huge word for the spiritual climate in the 1700s, some of the 1600s, into the 1800s. This was kind of the philosophy of the day. And it's this philosophy that, that someone like John Wesley will be very, very against. And so it's this word. Anybody ever seen this word before? Deism. And it, this, uh, it's, it's a 1700s thing. It's really popular then. I looked up today. And it's like, well, there's still quite a few deists. You can get a deist uh, bumper sticker that says, God gave us reason, not religion, www.deism.com. And it's basically this idea that there is a God in a sense, but God has also given us reason, not religion, hence the bumper sticker. And God really isn't all that active anymore. It's kind of like a, a clock you wind up. Is anybody familiar with a cuckoo clock? Your parents have one? Anybody? If you hang a cuckoo clock up, do you have to plug it in to the wall? No. Do you have to put batteries in it? No. Do you have to, uh, I don't know, is it, is it uh, batteries, I don't know, how else can it run? Well, it has these weights on it. Those three little weights at the bottom that look kind of like pine cones, those are the weights. And, and you bring up the weight, and then by gravity, all that potential energy is going down, and the gears are grinding, and every hour, the little clock turns, and the cuckoo comes out, boo-hoo, 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 and then it's like, bing, ding, 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 and there's like things chopping things, and things spinning around. And then, and then it's done. You're like, how does this thing work? What in the world? Every day, depending on your cuckoo clock, every day or every two days, every three days or so, you have to, those weights will go all the way down and you have to lift them back up. And that's what winds this clock up, just the weight. And so deism, getting back to our word, deism is this idea that God like wound up the clock, God of the world, of everything. God created it, God wound it all up, and then God's just like, okay, there it is, peace. I got some other things to do. I'll be over here hanging out with the bunnies in the pond or whatever. So that's deism, this idea that God started it all and then just kind of left. He's not active, he's not living, he's not present in his creation. And that was the, the philosophical or theological uh, climate of the day in the 1700s. And a lot of people say many of our founding fathers were deists, not all of them. Some of the more famous ones would be Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Ethan Allen, Thomas Paine. In fact, George, Thomas Jefferson goes so far as to say, if God's really not active, but some of the things in the Bible are true, then he went through the Bible. He went through uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is Thomas Jefferson. And he took out every reference to a miracle in the book, and he compiled it. I have it in my office, a little purple book in my office if you ever want to look at it. Um, and it's basically the gospel stories, the Jesus teachings. But anything miraculous was removed. In fact, it ends, the book, uh, Thomas Jefferson's gospel ends with, and then they buried him in the tomb, period. And you're like, that's there's a little bit more to that story, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, he comes out of the tomb, but according to Thomas Jefferson, he didn't believe in anything miraculous. He was a deist. And so God started things up. There's some good in the world. There's some good teachings. Jesus taught some good things. This is what a deist would say. But in the end, God is not active. And so things like praying to God, to a deist, that would be silly. Things like asking God for a miracle to a deist, that would be silly. Things like... Uh, 
maybe just an act of faith uh, and believing in miracles or believing that God can hear you. Those would all be silly things according to a deist. And the movement that, uh, one of the movements that goes so against that is this movement called pietism, this holiness movement in the, in the 1700s. And John Wesley will be very influenced by them. Uh, here's a picture of Count Zinzendorf there on the right preaching. Anybody ever heard of Count Zinzendorf? Oh, look at all the hands. You know why? Because David Perkins is a huge Count Zinzendorf fan. And Count Zinzendorf and the Moravians in a city called Hernhut, if I have my details right, started a 100-year prayer meeting. And it's in that same line that, uh, in some ways, like the Furnace Prayer Room and DSM, DLA, what used to be the Furnace, kind of started. It's like, we need to pray and we need to, because God isn't, we don't have these deist, deistic thoughts about God. God is real, and He can hear us, and we need to be passionate about who God is. So, remember that name, the Moravians. We'll come back to the Moravians in just a little while. But the, this idea of passion, this idea of um, bringing your emotions, bringing your experiences to God, and praying uh, specifically in the, with the Moravians, a hundred years nonstop. It wasn't just one person praying a hundred years. It was like different, at least two people praying in a room, like a prayer room that was, that was kept going day and night, night and day for a hundred years. It's pretty sweet, don't you think? I mean, to be able to organize that and keep that going for 100 years would take a lot of dedication and a lot of faith, the gift of faith. So let's get to our guy this morning who we're going to talk about, and let's talk about John Wesley's life. He's from England. He uh, was born to uh, a guy named Samuel and Susanna Wesley, and Samuel was an Anglican minister. They had a large family. Anybody come from a large family? Lots of brothers and sisters. Uh, Samuel and Susanna Wesley had 19 kids. That's pretty big. So if you're like, oh yeah, we come from a big family, I had three brothers. Nah, that's not that big. Uh, 19 is pretty big. And uh, John was the 15th of those 19th kids. And then his brother's also pretty uh, famous in the church world. Charles Wesley was the 18th of those 19 kids. Um, John Wesley's little brother, Charles, if I could just mention him, his name for a second because he's pretty famous. He wrote 6,000 hymns. And so if you ever are in a church and they have hymnals, flip through that hymnal I can pretty much guarantee that on many pages you will see down at the bottom the name Charles Wesley. He wrote a lot of songs. Hark the Herald Angel, you know that one? Uh, oh, Four Thousand Tons to Sing, you know that one? Lots of songs, 6,000 of them. So anyways, that's Charles. Jonathan is the, the older brother by just a little bit. And something happens to him when he is five years old. The family's all asleep. It's 11 p.m. at night in this little English town and their house I have no idea how big the house was, but I'm sure it was not big enough for 19 kids. No house is that big, um, especially back in the 1700s. But there was a fire at 11 p.m. at night. Everyone's asleep, and a fire breaks out in the house, and all the kids are rushed outside, but they forgot one. And you can't really blame them because there's 19 of them. You're just like, well, you know, we lost one. <laughs> and so they look up, and they see little John Wesley in the window, looking down and like, oh my gosh, the house is burning. Here's a painting of it. Um, it's this huge moment in little John Wesley's life because of what his mom will say afterwards. And so I thought for sure he's going to die. He's going to be burned up in this fire. You can't get to him. But people rallied around, opened the window, were able to climb up, get little John Wesley out, and bring him safely back down. 
And his mom says that this is a huge thing. This is a huge moment. He, uh, his mom, Susanna, compares it to Zechariah 3, 2. And you can look up that verse later. But it's this idea that uh, it's, it literally says, like a branch snatched from the fire. This idea that the, this branch will have do great things and be a great thing for God. It's a prophecy about Joshua. But John Wesley's mom says it's about him. Like little John, at five years old, you were snatched like a, like a little branch from the fire, and now you are called to greatness. Imagine if your mom was always reminding you of how great you were. It's like, John, I know God has big plans for you. And she would remind you, like, remember when God saved you from that fire? Uh, God has great things planned for you. And so John decides to become like his dad. His dad, what, is, what does his dad do? Do you remember? Anglican priest. John Wesley says, I'm going to become an Anglican priest, goes to a pretty good college in England called Oxford, and it's at Oxford that he and his boys get together. They form a little Bible study uh, because they want to be serious about their faith. They pray every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, six to nine. They ask each other 22 questions. You could Google this later. 22 questions about your day, like how was your day of prayer? How was your day? How did you do with uh, thoughts of lust? How did you do spending your money today? All these different questions to keep each other accountable. Every Wednesday and Friday, John Wesley and his boys would fast. Every Wednesday and, and Friday, that's like an early church tradition of when to fast. They read and studied Thomas Akempis' uh, imitation of Christ. That would be very influential in his life. And John Wesley and his boys would study Greek, the Greek New Testament. And coming from his childhood, John Wesley knew a lot of the New Testament. John Wesley's brother Charles and all other, what, 17 other kids uh, were homeschooled. Go homeschoolers, right? Woo -woo. Um, Suzanne taught little John Wesley and uh, all the brothers and sisters how to read Greek and Latin, how to memorize large portions of the New Testament and uh, quote them back by heart. And I thought this was interesting. They were never allowed to eat a snack in between meals. I was like, gosh, as a kid, that would be just brutal. Um, but anyways, they were raised well, goes to Oxford, hangs out with his boys, not um, going to Chili's and doing drugs in the parking lot, but spending a life of prayer. Um, I don't know what you and your boys do. Um, but this club uh, of boys, a man, really young men in college, uh, hanging out together, asking each other the 22 questions, studying Greek together. Um, they're so, like, their fervor for faith and, and for greatness and for leading a life of holiness is so, so much so that the, this deistic uh, idea uh, that was going on and influencing uh, Oxford School, uh, everyone else saw these guys as idiots, as fanatics, as super emotional, crazy Christian wingnuts, and called them do you, you know what John Wesley's little club was called? The Holy Club, yeah. So it's, it's not a name of endearment, but kind of making fun, poking fun at these guys. It's like, oh, that's the Holy Club. But it seems like they kind of took on that name, and you're like, yeah, I guess that's what we are. We're the Holy Club, and they, so they took on that name. But you can imagine, I mean, if someone came up to me and said, Joe, I get together with my boys every day. We pray from six to nine. We read Greek New Testament. We study and memorize Scripture. We ask each other 27 questions. Uh... We read Thomas the Campus. We fast every Friday and every Wednesday. I'd be like, sweet, you got things pretty much under control. You are a great Christian, don't you think? 
right? I mean, that's a pretty dedicated life of faith right there. But what's interesting is John Wesley will look back at this time in his life and say, you know what? I don't know that I was truly, fully, like, under the weight of God. Maybe he would use the word say, I don't know that I was truly even saved until later in his life, which is, for me, is just, like, mind-blowing in some way and discouraging in some way because it's like, man, that's my life. I'm, I don't pray three hours a day, and I don't have 22 questions or homeboys uh, with me fasting twice a week, all these things. But I would say, John Wesley, you are definitely, you know, a spiritual superstar, and yet this idea that he will go further in faith, and this somewhat encouraging thing that's like, well, wherever we're at right now, there is a much bigger gift of faith that we can step into. So here's the rest of John Wesley's story. He is on a, so he becomes, he goes to Oxford, becomes an Anglican minister, uh, gets an assignment to be a missionary, to go to the New World, hence U.S. church history, finally we're there, um, goes to the New World, goes to Georgia, and he's, uh, his assignment is to witness and preach to the Native Americans in Georgia. And he's on a boat ride, uh, and he's somewhere off the coast of Georgia, and they run into a storm. It's a pretty famous scene in John Wesley's life. And um, I've read, uh, for fun, a long time ago, I read John Wesley's journals. They're quite entertaining and quite good reads. He talks about his faith and his journey and this, this story of, of living out this, this missionary lifestyle. So he goes to Georgia. He's on a boat, and he's scared to death. He thinks the boat is about to crash. Maybe some of you have been on an airplane and the turbulence. Has anybody ever been on an airplane and the oxygen things come down? You're like, oh gosh, we're all going to die. Um, so maybe it's something like that. But in this case, John Wesley's case, he was on a boat, not a plane. Um, and so he's on this boat, scared to death, and he looks over and sees this group of people praying, and they're not that scared. And he's like, what in the world am I missing in my life? And of course, that group of people was a group called the Moravians. Yeah, I heard it. Good. So this group of Moravians, these pietist Christians are in this boat praying, and they're calm, and they're not afraid of death. And John Wesley's like, I want that. I want that kind of faith. I don't have it. I'm scared to death. And he's scared to death that he hasn't done enough for the Lord. And John Wesley really struggles in his life, if you read his journals, with legalism and with works uh, towards salvation. And he wants faith. And he has a conversation with one of the Moravians. And he says something like, uh, the, one of the Moravians asks him, do you know that Christ died for you? And John Wesley says, oh yeah, as an Anglican, you know, he knows his theology. And he says, oh yeah, I know Christ died for the world. And this Moravian guy says, no, do you know that Christ died for you? And John Wesley replies, oh yeah, he, he died for everybody, he died for the world. And kind of realized later that he didn't get it, that he didn't get this relationship with God, this personal, uh, filled with faith and life relationship until a little bit later. He goes back to England. Here's a picture of him holding his heart, which will be, a if you look at a lot of paintings of John Wesley, on one hand he's usually holding a Bible, the other hand, he's usually holding his heart because of this quote. The quote on the back of uh, our notes today says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. That's a pretty big quote of John Wesley. Well, he goes back to England. He wants to learn more about these Moravians, these people he was so impressed with. He finds some Moravians in England. He goes to one of their meetings. And at this meeting, they're just reading the gospel of, no, they're reading a commentary on the gospel of Romans by Martin Luther. Do you remember Martin Luther from church history? weeks ago, months ago, they're reading <coughs> Martin Luther's introduction to the Gospel of Romans. And in that, he talks about how if you read Romans, if you're familiar with Romans, it's a lot like Ephesians in that 
God reminds his people of that the gift of faith is what saves you, and that's not a work of yourself. That is a gift of God, and that faith is a gift. And John Wesley at this meeting says his heart was strangely warmed, and it's this like moment of running into God. Maybe some of you have had these moments in your life where on the outside everything seems normal, but on the inside God is tearing your heart apart and wrenching it, and you feel this closeness to God. You feel this, this maybe, maybe even a, a physical like feeling of warmth all over. I don't know. And John Wesley says he has this moment uh, I think I have the, I printed out his journal entry because he says like the exact day, the exact time, May 24th, 1738, 8.45 p.m. They were reading Luther's preface to the Romans, describing the change which God works through the heart of the faithful. And I felt my heart strangely warmed. And he says, basically, he was blown away that faith is God's work. And here, John Wesley, as you can imagine, had been trying to achieve salvation the Holy Club, the fasting, the memorizing of Scripture, all these things like these benchmarks and all these little trophies he had in his life trying to impress God and comes to this conclusion that faith is God's work, not a work he can bring to God, but a work God can do in his life. And boom, a new John Wesley is born. And he goes out with fervor, witnessing, and with this pietist movement begins preaching a whole new way of preaching, a way that uh, leads people in meetings to start crying and confessing their sins. And this is, I mean, if you think, like, if you've ever been to an Anglican church, it's very, usually very proper. And English, especially English, just people are very proper. And the idea of preaching and people being very emotional and crying and screaming about their own sin during church, that was totally not cool uh, at the time in the 1700s, especially with this deistic culture. But that's John Wesley. He begins preaching this, this response to God and being, it's okay to be emotional with God. It's okay to give Him your whole life. It's okay to pray and ask and hope and expect because faith is a gift of God. And of course, John Wesley goes on to found a church, a church that's still around. Do you know the name of this church? Starts with an M, ends with an ist. Methodist, you got it. So the Methodist church, if you didn't know, John Wesley starts it. And he, it's, once again, seems like there's a lot of name calling in John Wesley's life. People called him and his, his homeboys the Holy Club, and it was not meant to be very good. Well, people call uh, John Wesley and some of his father's followers Methodists because they're so methodical in how they do things. They're so methodical in how they read Scripture, how they pray, that they gave, they kind of slammed them with the name, well, you guys are just a bunch of Methodists. And for some reason, he liked the name and it stuck. And so today, the, the United Methodist Church is the church that John Wesley founded oh so many years ago, preaching revival. I put a horse on there uh, and a guy reading the Bible. Uh, that would be a circuit rider. John Wesley and the Methodists are so famous for circuit riding around the, what is the new USA or what then was the colonies, what now is the USA, riding into the frontier, riding west, converting people that had moved there and uh, just showing up at a town, preaching revival, that God is alive, that faith is a gift of God, and people converted. So I have one more discussion question for you in thinking about all this and thinking about John Wesley's life, um, this idea that he was like a super Christian in the Holy Club. If you think like, oh, that, that guy was a super Christian. And then he has this experience that just blows his faith out of the water. How many of us um, in five years 
um, maybe, maybe that'll happen to some of us. And I, the five-year thing is just part of the survey that, was, that I was reading about change and how we can look back and say, oh, five years ago, I was a totally different person when it came to my faith. And, but looking forward and saying, I'm hopeful that God will radically change me. Five years from now, I don't know where I'll be, but five years from now, I would love to be more spiritually alive than ever before. So this question, I, I try to word it again pretty broadly so um, you can answer it spiritually or somewhat non-spiritually, but this is church, so the spiritual answers are usually the best. Um, uh, anyways, take a guess. Where will you be five years from now? And you might think, well, that you're spiritually where you'll be, but you know, so much of our life depends on where we live, who our friends are, what we're doing, what, our, what church we'll be going to. So think about that, and, and of course, bring it back spiritually. Where do you think you'll be five years from now, if you could guess? Um, I think it's a pretty cool exercise. When I was in high school, um, my youth pastor had us all write down. Did you do this? Had you write a letter to yourself, and then he would mail that letter a year out? Did anybody do that? Just me? A couple people. It's a pretty cool experience, because you read this letter from a year ago to yourself, and you're like, whoa, I was totally different back then. And in high school, a year is a lot of time. Well, if you're college and 20-somethings, five years is a lot of time. So anyways, that's your discussion question. I'll give you like three minutes to think about it. Ready? Get set. Discuss. Uh, I walked around a few tables. Aaron Higgins said, in five years, the Mill Sunday School will be celebrating 15 years of doing the Mill Sunday School. So, woo-woo! <laughs> and I, I don't, I'd probably be here, right here five years doing the same thing. And I thought, if, if my faith, though, is at the same place it is right now, then in some ways that will be a little disappointing. Like this idea that if faith is a gift of God and God wants to give us faith, then if we're still at the same point, or if we are, maybe if we look back and say, oh man, I, I used to have a better Christian life. And some of you in here would probably say that. Be like, man, I used to do this and do that. And I used to, you know, have this prayer time with God every day. I used to feel so much more connected to God. Well, stop right now and look at the future and say, well, however different you were five years ago, you can be that different five years from now. And specifically speaking, like receiving more of this gift of faith. I was just blown away this week just thinking about different people in my life and my own life and, and looking back and looking forward and thinking my life and my faith has grown so much over the course of, of five-year in increments. And hopefully we'll see what happens, but I'll be right here preaching the Mill Sunday School in five years, but I will have more faith. And, and that's a hope of mine. That's, that's going to be a prayer of mine that God will continue to increase my faith. So in conclusion, um, I just I thought of like this life change ahead. Well, whether you like it or not, there will be change within your life. And a lot of it is going to depend on choices you make. And specifically, I'm here this morning reflecting on John Wesley, encouraging you to pray for the gift of faith, to pray that that work in God would be, be awesome in your life, that you won't try to work for your salvation, you won't be hindered by trying to impress God, but let God impress you and, and fill you up with His Holy Spirit and fill you up with who you are inside Him. So I'll close with reading the same passage that we started with, kind of conclude it the same way we opened. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 6, it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by 
grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray this morning. God, we believe that you have this gift of faith for us. And Lord, we pray each and every one of us, including myself, that we will receive this gift. God, five years from now, we will be so much more filled with your Holy Spirit. We will be so much more faithful in the things you're doing and the things we're doing on this earth through you. God, bring us, um, Lord, as, as many of us are college and 20-somethings, Lord, we, we look at these years as so pivotal in our relationship with you. And God, make us be, um, in some ways, encourage us like John Wesley, just surprise us one day with how much faith, um, this huge gift that you can bestow on us and just bring us radically into a whole nother level of a relationship with you. We look forward to that day, Lord. We are, we are just loving you, praising your holy name. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends. Well, we're ending just a tad early, so enjoy some time together, get some more coffee, and then go to section 10 if you grow in a big church. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.